0: Welcome back, Richard. Happy September. It's good to see you
1: yeah, it's September, huh? Um, the uh, man we're gonna we're gonna fall in well, it's hurricane season here in Florida, but um e- even more than
0: that um we're we're about ready to enter the holiday season again. Uh, we are, we are and it's um yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot coming up still for the for the rest of this year, just the last quarter, but before we get to all of that. You know, September. We, we are in the September. This is the first weekend of September, and and September has been designated as Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. Right. And so we're going to talk a little bit about about some of that, and you know, and, and some of the leading causes or some of the related factors associated with with uh, suicide. And um, over the over the course of this month, uh, just to help increase awareness and hopefully increase. Right.
1: Yeah, we didn't want to spend too much time on um, on suicide, only because it's a complex topic, and we've we've discussed it a little before. And but it is it it is a good time to pause, and um, and think about the numbers of people, not only who are committing suicide, who are, uh, which is about forty five thousand people a year, at least in twenty twenty. But also the number of people who, who've thought about it. I mean, 45,000 have actually committed suicide, but uh, over 12 million have seriously thought about suicide. Right. You know, which is, I mean, that, that starts to give you some perspective. I mean, a lot of people are thinking about it. Three million, uh, a little over three million have planned a suicide attempt. So we're moving a little bit more to serious. Right. And uh, a little over a million have attempted suicide. And in two age groups, uh, because different age groups have different suicide rates. So for the age groups from 10 to 14, and 25 to 34, suicides is is the second leading cause of death in both of those age groups. Right. Um, So we're talking about teenagers, uh, particularly young teenagers, Mm -hmm. which is something you and I have talked about that the most difficult adolescent years are the early adolescent years, mm-hmm. uh, especially middle school, right? So we're not surprised to see that from ages ten to fourteen, the onset of puberty brings brings a, a number of changes, and then the other group is twenty five to thirty four, and um, that's that's the second group. Generally, pretty healthy uh, mm-hmm. people in that age group typically don't go to doctors. Many don't even have a mm-hmm. primary care provider um so it's not surprising that suicide would be the second leading cause the leading cause of death for both groups is accidents right it's, it's The automobile accidents right. but um, suicide is is second in these two age groups but yeah. regardless of regardless of, of of how many um every one of them is a tragedy um a, a, you know for for families left behind and for loved ones left behind uh each is a tragedy so Significant, uh, impressive, disturbing numbers. Yeah, but uh, certainly each is a each is a tragedy in its own right.
0: A- absolutely, and and I think that you know we would um, not be doing justice to mention that there are, there are other groups that where the rates are significantly higher. You know, those in the LGBTQ um, community are at a significant uh, elevated risk for. Um, suicidal ideation um, and, and all of these these factors. Right, and, veterans, um, um, veterans is another very high risk group. You know? Right, right. So so you know we 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 know that there are individuals who are at increased risk, um, and we know that you know that there's a lot of different risk factors. But one of the one of the primary risk factors, one of the big risk factors, and the one that we're going to talk about today, um, is depression. Because many, many times people ask us, you know, what are the,
1: is, is my child at risk? Or is my partner at risk? How serious is this? And one of the things you have to talk about is depression, because depression is one of the leading causes, one of the leading risk factors. I don't like to use the word cause, but certainly one of the leading risk factors when it comes to suicide.
0: Right, and and that certainly isn't to say that every person with depression is going to even even have thoughts of suicide. That that's the case, and and let's not uh, forget that a lot of people who have thought about suicide and even attempted suicide aren't depressed necessarily. Exactly right. So you know they, they aren't. There isn't that causal relationship, as you just said. Uh, but there is this relationship, and um, depression is a is a key risk factor. Now there, there are others, uh, other psychiatric right. disorders, especially things like uh, bipolar disorder mm-hmm. um, and, and like psychotic disorders. Uh, but certainly substance abuse uh, is a is a leading uh, factor in in chronic pain. And again, there's just lots of other right. factors and lots of other um, just pieces that get put into this puzzle that we're trying to put together to understand suicide and suicidal ideation a little bit more.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, so when we talk about what depression is, there's, uh, if you think about this, depression can be have a small D as depression, mm-hmm. which is a descriptive term, or it can be a well, major case D, which would be the medical diagnosis. So there's the, the word is used in two very different ways. And so when you talk about depression with a small d, we're talking about this feeling that, that, and, and this common language that people use, it's not precise language, but right. the diagnosis is precise. So we always want to make that distinction between, are you just talking about a descriptive term? Or are you talking about a diagnosis?
0: And, and from a, you know, from our clinical perspective, and, and, you know, we've talked about this many times, just with you and I talking, Richard, that, you, you know, people will come in and they'll, they'll describe these things. And you, you might say, you know, you, you sound like you've been feeling a little depressed. Right. Oh, no, I'm not depressed. Um, I, I'm not. No, that's a that's a lowercase d depressed right. means that your your mood is just dipped. It's just mm-hmm. down a little bit. Maybe you're not right. feeling as motivated or as driven as you you once did. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's not uh, diagnostic necessarily. It's just right. And we all go through those times. We all have those experiences where um, you just feel feel a little down. And sometimes you just wake up that way. It doesn't necessarily mean that anything happened.
1: Right, exactly. So so we're using this term two different ways. Now, depression, here's the other thing about depression. It can appear out of nowhere. Just you get up one day and suddenly the world is different and you feel differently or it can be a response to some loss or some event in your life. Many people, um, we talk about veterans. Uh, We certainly have a better knowledge of why a veteran would have, would have, uh, would, would develop depression. Or uh, then uh, we understand that group, but we understand marginalized groups like LGBT or um, some racial and ethnic groups. So you can, you can, you can, it can appear out of nowhere or it can be response. To something in your life. Now, the other thing about depression, and I like the distinction that this particular person makes, said depression comes in many forms, um, right. and 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 I like that because the primary diagnosis in DSM is major depressive disorder, right? But there are four or five other conditions, right? And in those conditions, depression is a component. Of these conditions, for example, uh, bipolar disorder right. okay? It's not it's different from major depressive disorder because you have the manic phase or seasonal affective disorder. Right. So you have depression, but it's a seasonal. So depression is a component of many disorders, but when we talk about a diagnosis of depression, we're talking about um, we're talking
0: about um, MDD. Right. Right. A, um, and that's MDD is major depressive disorder, major depressive um, disorder. Yeah. And, and it's there, there's a number of other conditions. If you the way that our, our diagnostic manual is set up, there's there's a category called depressive disorders. Right. There are a number of disorders listed in there. And and mm-hmm. certainly major depressive disorder is the most common. But mm-hmm. um, but, you know, there, there are there are others as well. And and. Mm-hmm and we will talk about some of those others in, in weeks to come. Um, but the, the other thing that we have to remember with depression is that it it is, it is, it is pretty common. Um, it it has an influence on not just our, our psychological, our mental health, but also our physical health. Um, for those of you who, who remember back in the day when we, watched regular tv and there were regular commercials that were on all the time um the, when the the medication symbalta came out yeah uh and we'll talk about medications in just a minute when symbalta came out it it was really pushing the idea that symbalta helped treat treat the the physical um pain right. um, discomfort associated with depression right mm-hmm. um so not only did it help with depression but it helped with the physiological um discomfort in your body that you feel as a result of the of right. this mood disorder. So, um, so it is well known that it affects your entire body. Right.
1: And, and the other thing that we that's important to keep in mind about depression is that it, it negatively affects how you feel, mm-hmm. how you think and how you act. Right. The reason this is important is because when we get to what do we do about depression, we're going to address, most treatment programs address all three of those things in one way or another, how you feel, how you think, and how you act. Right. So when we get to treatments, we'll think, okay, how do I think, how do I think, and how's that related to my depression? That becomes part of the treatment program. So remember, when we talk about depression,
0: we're talking about how
1: you feel, how you think, and how you act.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So when, when a person is going to make it, uh, a diagnosis, um, right. of major depressive disorder. Th- there are a few things that we look at. Um, and, you know, certainly everybody recognizes there's a, there's a, um, that you feel sad or you feel down and, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, in fact, I, I, I had a, um, a patient recently who didn't necessarily feel sad, um, but they just didn't necessarily feel anything. Right. Um, right. And, and so, you know, yeah. one, when, when you look at the diagnostic criteria, sometimes it can, mm-hmm. it, it can appear complicated, but one of the first things you have to decide is if one of two symptoms are present and, and what is a persistent sadness um, or, or down mood that, and, and for depression, they love the DSM loves this phrase, most of the day, nearly every day. right? Um, and, and, So you have this persistent sadness or or down mood uh, most of the day, nearly every day, or there has to be this thing that we call anhedonia or a diminished interest in in almost all activities. Again, most of the day, nearly every day. And this idea of anhedonia is really important because that's when we have this experience of, you know, things that we really enjoy doing. We just don't feel like doing anymore, Um, Mm -hmm. you know. We, we have lots of opportunities perhaps to do these enjoyable tasks, but we just don't, we just don't have the energy to get up and do them. Um, so one of those two have to be present. Now there's other symptoms as well, but one of those two have to be present.
1: Right. But, but these are every day we're talking about, you're like this every day. And we're going to talk about these distinctions in a minute. But yeah. I think the thing to keep in mind is we're talking about something that affects you most of every day. Right. And, and, and it occurs day after day, after day, after day, it doesn't come and go. Okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's constant. And you're right. The anhedonia is you just don't have any motivation. No joy. No, right. there's no, uh, no, no incentive to do anything. You're, right. you're just flat all the time. Now there are a lot of other things that go on with depression, such as loss of energy and loss of appetite and, reduced thinking and all that. But there are these criteria, Mm -hmm. but you're right. There are the the two main criteria have to be met. If you don't don't meet those two, and this is going to become absolutely critical when we talk about treatment, right? We have to make absolutely certain that we're getting an accurate diagnosis. So these criteria are, are, are really, really important because we have to get the
0: diagnosis right. If we're going to get the right treatment, Absolutely. And and the reason that they use this um, most of the day, nearly everyday terminology is because, um, you know, sometimes we've talked before about the difference between mood and emotions and feelings and some of these different things. And, and so sometimes, you know, mood is sort of this underlying undercurrent. Um, it's the undertow in, in the ocean, uh, for those of you who live near the ocean, um, whereas your emotions um, and feelings, those are the waves on top. And so the remember, the undertow can be pulling you out to the um, ocean while the waves are moving into the, so they can be different. They can flow in different directions. But Sometimes your mood can be very depressed, but... You know, If your family decides to go to Disney or go mm-hmm. to a big theme park, you may have a decent day. You may not feel too terribly down that day because something new and something exciting is happening. But sure enough, what will happen is most likely the, the next day that mood goes right back and, and you're right back where you were. And so it doesn't happen have to happen 24 hours a day, every single day during the episode. But it's just certainly most of the time, almost most a day. Most nearly of
1: every day, right. right? Most of the day, nearly yeah. every day, right?
0: Right. And there has to be some impairment in functioning. We talk about that a lot yeah. in, in, on this podcast because that's something that a lot of people, um, you know, really does, don't, don't pay a lot of attention to. But there has to be a significant, um, significant distress, significant mm-hmm. impairment in, in functioning before you make this diagnosis. Because, again, we all feel sad sometimes. Um, but how is it influencing your life? Is it, is it limiting you in any way? Is it preventing you from doing something? What, how is it affecting uh, your life? Right. So um, one of the things that we talked about a moment ago, and maybe what we just need to tease apart a little bit more, is that depression is not sadness. Right. Sadness and depression are, are two different things. Now, depression is sort of the, the higher level, if you will, of, of sadness, but, but they're not necessarily the same exact thing. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sadness is a normal emotional response um, to it. And, and, and it's triggered by a specific event. Something, something happens, you know, you forget to pay a bill or you get a traffic ticket or, you know, somebody dies or your pet dies. Something triggers this feeling that you have with depression You don't need a trigger necessarily. Now you might, but like certainly going into a war zone would be a trigger, but with depression, no trigger is needed. And the, and you feel sad about everything. You you don't feel sad about a, in sadness, there's a specific thing that you feel sad about with depression. You're sad about everything.
0: Right. Right. The other difference is, is just really the duration, you know, sadness usually lasts a a couple of days maybe. Um, But you can still enjoy other things, but it just lasts a couple of days. Whereas depression, you know, diagnostically, it has to last at least two weeks, right? It's not a depressive episode unless it lasts at least two weeks. Right. So so the duration is pretty, pretty different between the two.
1: Right. And with sadness, you might have sadness again, about a specific things, but you're enjoying other things. Right. With depression, you don't enjoy anything. Right. Right. And so it's the same with, how you're feeling about things. Because with sadness, even with, with a major loss, you can still sleep. You're still motivated to do some things. You're still sort of eating with depression, these normal sleep and eating and work path, they're all disrupted. Okay. Right. Everything gets, so that's when you talk about impairment, that's where impairment comes in because um, with sadness, you're still doing most of the other things you normally did.
0: With right. Depression, everything stops. Right. Um, another distinction is that, you know, with sadness, you have this, these feelings of regret or remorse or mm-hmm. grief or or something. Um, but with, with depression, um, and for those of you who've ever experienced a depressive episode, you know, what it means to this sense of, of worthlessness of, you know, you have these self deprecating, self diminishing negative thoughts right. that are, are, you know, Again, it very imp- can be very impairing because just your your self image, the way that you see yourself and you see your worth, significantly decreases um, and, and affects the way that you function.
1: And that leads to the last difference, which is self harm and suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, people who experience a, an episode a, and and they become sad, right. um, they're not inclined to self harm and suicide, but pe- with depression, frequently. Individuals who are depressed have thoughts, almost obsessive thoughts about self-harm and death and even even um, planning their own deaths. Okay? Right. So these these feelings with depression uh, are so profound that you have a higher um, incidence of uh, thought, thinking about
0: self-harm. Right. Absolutely. So so when we when we make the diagnosis of depression, you know, one of the things we have to do is a good history, and usually that's through a, a good clinical interview to differentiate depression from some of these other things. Um, you know, sometimes some people have persistent sadness, and they're just sad a little bit longer than you would expect. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's because the loss or, or the the um, the triggering if uh, um, triggering event is more significant than than the person has experienced before or something. They just don't have the skills. You, you know, one of the and I know that we've talked about this before too, you know, it's really difficult for somebody if they've reached adolescence or even early adulthood, for example, mm-hmm. and they've never experienced a loss before. Right. And then suddenly there's a major loss in their life. Right. They just don't have the skills to know how to, to, to treat it or to respond to it. And so mm-hmm. it hits them a little bit harder right. than, than it might have otherwise. And so they struggle with it. And so you have to have this really good history and clinical interview so that you can differentiate between some of these different things.
1: That's right. Because there's a huge difference if a person comes in and can't do anything, or they can't even come in, they can't get right. out. There, but they're so depressed versus a person who comes in still going to work, still doing everything, but they just don't feel, they're just flat. They're, they're right. no joy. Okay. That's different from the person who's, um, who's completely impaired. Right. of their depression so that's why you do the clinical um in- interview and take this history because you want to understand what am i dealing with here what is what is this person dealing with and then in addition to the interview there are some tests you can do normally it's self ratings you know you ask the people to rate themselves uh there's one called the beck depression inventory it's a short uh form that that a person can fill out there are other larger inventories like the um, MMPI and some other yeah. uh, uh, assessments that you can do with, with dozens or even hundreds of questions. Right. And you gather all this information together and it gives you an additional insight mm-hmm. into um, how this person is really feeling.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously the limitation is that is self-report. <laughs> so the person is is saying this for themselves and, you know, you have to be careful, you know, is the person, you know, sometimes when we're, Sometimes when we're sad um, or, or depressed, we tend to uh, um, overestimate or exaggerate sometimes mm-hmm. those symptoms, you know, um, and sometimes when we have other mental health conditions, we have a tendency to do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's hard to use. You, you can't just use a test by itself. Um, yeah. How many times do we talk about that? <laughs> you can't use just the results of a test itself right. to make a diagnosis. These are These are clinical diagnoses. And um, and so it really requires those clinical skills and and understanding uh, of the condition. So yeah, there there
1: isn't a there is no test that you can give that said, well, this person has because right. even if they even if they score high on the test, they still may not get the diagnosis based on right. clinical uh,
0: based on their history and their uh, responses in the interview. Absolutely, that's that's why you know that, that, that's why there aren't any internet tests that are really good that somebody can take that really gives them, um, you know, valid, confident, absolute information because it's, it's just too, uh, too difficult to do that uh, with just questionnaires. So, but once you get the diagnosis, then, you know, of course we get into treatment and, you know, this is where, you know, you start seeing some really big challenges in the research literature. Um, we, we've talked uh, before on the podcast about, some of the variability, we'll say, in in what the research says about the efficacy of of medication of the antidepressants, um, a lot of people respond well to these medications, mm-hmm. um, but it takes time. Uh, it takes time for them to be effective and for you to see the effect, the the influence of them. Right.
1: Yeah. Um. Very high numbers. Uh. Very high efficacy numbers. Eighty to ninety percent of people with Major depressive disorder do have a reasonably positive response to medications. I'm
0: going to jump in right there because the word that you words that you said need to be emphasized. 80 to 90 percent of those people with depression yeah. positively respond to the medication. The problem is, is that a lot of times these medications are are prescribed to people who don't really have depression. They might have some of those other diagnoses that include depressive episodes or depressive symptoms. But if they don't have major depressive disorder, these medications may not be effective or may not be consistently effective for them. And so that, 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 the, that terminology that you use was brilliant because that is the key factor. They have to have, they have to really have major depressive disorder for the medication to be effective.
1: Right. And, and we're going to talk in a minute about how the, these medications are related to increased risk of suicide. Right. But And that's why diagnosis is absolutely essential, because in people who don't have the diagnosis, these medications can actually create problems mm-hmm. okay, rather than solve them. Right. So right. Yeah, diagnosis is absolutely, that's sort of a shout out to Dr. Silver, yeah, who always stressed, you've got to get the diagnosis right.
0: Absolutely. So so there's a a lot of classes of medications uh, that that fall within the broad category of antidepressants. There's things like the SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, SSNIs, uh, selective uh, serotonin and norepinephrine uh, inhibitors, um, reuptake inhibitors. Then you have these atypical ones, uh, like uh, I mentioned, um, well, I mentioned Cymbalta, that's an SSNI, but there's also Welbutrin that falls into the category of atypicals. And then there's this old school uh, class called tricyclic antidepressants um, that really aren't used as much. For depression per se, um, some of the tricyclics are used for, uh, interestingly enough, some of the tricyclics now are used for stomach problems, gastrointestinal issues, and um, others are used for sleep problems because they have a side effect of causing a lot of drowsiness. Um, So yeah, there's, but there's a lot of different classes and groups of medications known as antidepressants.
1: And that's why, again, diagnosis is so important because What we're asking the medications to do is to reduce our symptoms so that we can do all the other things that we have to do. Remember, at the beginning of the podcast, we talk about how you think, how you feel, and how you act. The problem with depression is you don't want to do any of those things. Mm -hmm. But if we can reduce the symptoms, then we can start the person feeling differently, acting differently, and thinking differently. So that's the the combination – Um, sort of best practice combination is medication plus what is called psychotherapy it's all the other things you need to do Um, so the medications are they're not going to cure anything right they're simply going to reduce the symptoms
0: right yeah now you mentioned a moment ago about um, this risk that one has to be mindful of of an increased risk for suicidal ideation right and uh, you know, this all started in the early nineties where um, there was a case report uh, documenting uh, right. increased risk of um, suicidal ideation in a group of individuals uh, who were taking SSRIs. Right. Um, they, you know, some research was done and in, in 91, the FDA said that there were no, no, it was not an association, but then um, go fast forward about 10 years later in, in the early 2000, 2004, Mm -hmm. um, there was this, this association found between Paxil and an increased risk for suicide. Um, and so at that time there was a, it was issued that a black box warning needed to be put on, um, and antidepressant medications that said anyone under the age of 18, uh, there what we had to be mindful that there was an increased risk for, for suicidal ideation.
1: Bernie explain, explain to people exactly what a black, box warning is.
0: Yeah. Um, it's what is referred to as um, what well, if you think about that, that, that box on this, this is a horrible example. I don't know why it's the first one that jumped in my mind. But if you look at the side of a cigarette box, uh, yes. a cigarette, there's a there's a, a, a square box that is a black outline. Right. Uh, it talks about what the Surgeon General says that the you know uh, smoking tobacco is increased risk for blah blah blah. Um, and you see that on alcohol and cigarettes, right? There's
1: a, there's a black box warning on cigarettes and alcohol, absolutely. Right.
0: And so there's a black box warning on these that there is this risk. Now, the, and I've always struggled. If, full disclosure, I've always struggled with this. Um, with this idea of, of, um, of just saying that, well, for, for some reason, this population, there's an increased risk of suicidal ideation in whenever they take antidepressants. Right. Um, you know, we don't have time to go into, into it right now, though. I would really love to, um, we don't have time to go into it right now, but I think that the real problem that we're dealing with is we started out this podcast saying that depression is a symptom of a lot of other conditions. Right. Well if you're talking about a 16 year old who experiences depression, right. We don't know if that depression that they're experiencing at that time is because they have major depressive disorder, which it may right. look at that time, or if it's just the first episode of something that's much more significant that's going to emerge later as they as they right. age. And right. They may still have that more complicated condition and we're only seeing the depression at the age of 16, but um but we don't know that until it fully yeah. And it's
1: not surprising that the black box warning would be issued up to age 18. That's those very difficult teenage years. So right. am I dealing with post-pubertal uh, feelings, emotions, or am I dealing with depression? And it's quite possible that the... Am I
0: dealing with depression or am I dealing with a, a depre- the first depressive episode of bipolar disorder? That, exactly. We don't yeah. know. That's right. right. So a couple of years later, in twenty in two thousand six, the black box warning was extended up to age twenty six. Which, for those of us who are understand neuro neurobiology, that makes sense because the brain is still developing until right. through the mid twenties, and so um, we're just they're just sort of trying to encompass the entire developmental phase, uh, neurodevelopmental phase, uh, to get us up to the mid twenties. But you know, it's just important to know that the black box warning is there. Um, and it, that it is important to be mindful of, of this risk and, and that we watch for any increase in in those kinds of problems in people taking antidepressants.
1: Yeah, and I think how we talk about this, we have to be very careful about the language that we use because it's very easy to say, well, antidepressants are, it increases your risk of suicide. Well, not really. I mean, that's that's really not how that should be worded. Right. It, it, what should be said is that Um, we know that the use of SSRIs in some individuals has led to suicide. We don't know that those individuals had depression or or should have had the diagnosis. It could be that they didn't, they were given a medication that they shouldn't have been taking. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the medication had, had, um, uh, had an effect that led to somebody's uh, suicidal um, behavior. So we don't, I mean, the, the literature is still being done on on this topic. It's something that would require—you're uh, right—it would require an entire podcast to sort of sort through it. But we also know that the drug manufacturers have faced some pretty significant lawsuits, where they're paying, you know, three hundred million dollars in punitive damages. And so, when you're paying those kind of uh, expenses, um, yeah, you're probably going to you're probably going to submit to a black box warning. And let's be safe. I mean, let's let's keep everybody sure. safe. You know. Um, so, but it, it it's just there. There is this association.
0: We don't know exactly what or why, right? And, and 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 so all of that leads us to what is really the best practice as it relates to the treatment of depression. And, and the best practice, and and all of the books say this, though this isn't always followed. Um, best practice is to start with psychotherapy, um, and, and you know. And it's, you know, it's obvious that psychotherapy helps because you see a psychiatrist every three months or so to refill medication. You see your psychotherapist once a week, once every other week or so. Mm -hmm. So if if a person is on an antidepressant and they're seeing a therapist um, relatively frequently, you know, Mm -hmm. once a week or once every other week or so, um, as soon as suicidal ideation comes up. Ac- um a- action can be taken they can come off of that medication um as quickly as as is safe and what the research suggests is then this the that um that response leading to the increase in suicidal ideation decreases it starts sure. to go away That's so necessary. so the the importance of psychotherapy can't be overstated Um, Many times we should be in people with depression should be in psychotherapy before they even consider medication, Um, because the the research suggests that most people in a depressive episode, um, the depression, um, you know, the depression starts to go away, even by itself, within, you know, four to six weeks or so. Mm -hmm. Remember what we said, it takes four to six weeks or so for the medication to start to be effective anyways.
1: That's right.
0: So. So let's, you know, look into therapy first. Uh, there's lots of different forms of therapy, uh, but we should look into that therapy first before we jump to medications.
1: Right. Yeah. Just sit and start talking to somebody. What, what you want to do. Remember, we talked about how you feel, how you think, how you act. Yeah. And for most of these therapies, it's about how you think about your life how you think about things okay um that's what you've all heard of cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy you have to do cbt all cbt does is it's a structured way of changing how you think about things mm-hmm. that's okay? right instead of thinking this okay you've been you've been thinking about it this way let's let's consider this okay and also most of you have heard the term mindfulness yeah. and again being more mindful of right. what you're doing, how you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're responding, um, <clears throat> is another way to treat, to reduce these depressive symptoms, to manage your depression. Absolutely.
0: Uh, family therapy can be helpful. Um, sure. Many times, group therapy can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there's lots of different options when it comes to uh, a psychotherapeutic approach to treat right. treating depression. And, and you just need to find um, you know, find a good professional that um, that will listen to what's going on and help make the rec- the best recommendation for you. And again, many times you can start this before you even you know go towards medication. Um, and, and that professional can help guide you in that direction if it looks like you know it's not really responding very well to to what we're doing here. So let's um, you know let's let's consider consulting with a physician that, that might be able to talk about medication.
1: And there is no right therapy. There is no best therapy. It's what is going to work for you. And for some people, it is cognitive behavioral therapy. And some people, it's better to, to use family therapy because you're changing the person's environment. And that's really what that person needed because right. it, it was the environment that that needs to be changed, that can be changed, that would lead to improved outcomes. That's or right. you, you go to group therapy and you see what's good about group therapy well i'm not the only one experiencing these things right. and i can i can hear how other people have dealt with theirs so mm-hmm. i'm i'm more informed about what i might do so it it really is a matter of choosing work with a therapist and choose what works for
0: you absolutely absolutely so if depression seems like something that's uh, affecting you or someone that you you love or know um certainly Encourage them, uh, or encourage yourself, whichever the case may be, to to get some of that help. Um, talk to somebody. There there are so many um, resources available now. Um, yeah. You know, even even virtual, um, where you can you can you know get some help, at least get some information, um, and and try to move in that direction of of, of healing and and helpfulness. So. All right. I think that that's it for today. We will be back next week uh, to talk uh, about some other uh, perhaps some other factors associated with um, this uh, suicide prevention and awareness uh, month. And um, we will see you all then. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy and forget to be afraid.